Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28. It's, a, it's one of those staggering truths when you start to think about the fact that there is no one beyond the reach of the love of our gracious and loving Lord. There's no person that is beyond being saved and beyond being reached. And, and I think this passage that we're about to look at this evening is one of those evidences. Okay, Isaiah chapter 28, in just a moment, we'll start walking through a passage of scripture that quite honestly, um, several weeks ago in my own personal devotions, I was reading and I marked a couple things in it and I thought someday, sometime I would like to, um, if the Lord allows, preach this passage of scripture. So tonight is the, the Lord allows. And I told you this morning that um, recently, this last week, Julie and I were in Michigan and uh, speaking at a convention. So we flew into Detroit, Michigan, and then we drove from Detroit over to Kalamazoo. On our way from Detroit to Kalamazoo, we stopped and we had dinner with um, one of my nieces and her husband and their three children and also my nephew, his wife, and their newborn. So we met at my nephew's house and, and the whole family got together there and, and the kids, um, Julie and I haven't had opportunity to spend time with them. So they of course live in Michigan, we live here in Florida and, and the oldest is Willow and she is four years old and she is just this, um, you know, this um, ball of, of wisdom and energy, okay? So we had a lot of fun. Do you know how you start to get to know kids that you haven't really spent time with? And when they first look at you, they have this, um, you know, eye of suspicion. And so you kind of, you just have to be patient and then you're, you're a little silly with them. And then and before long, you know, they're, they're climbing all over you. Well, because we don't get to spend time with them on a regular basis, Julie said, let's get them some presents. So we went and we did some shopping for the kids and for the family. So we, we got stuff for everybody. It was like mini birthday time, you know. We, we got gifts for everybody. And she knew some of the things that the kids liked. Well, well, Willow likes mermaids. So we found this mermaid outfit for Willow that was just beautiful. I mean, it's just strikingly beautiful. And so we, we bought this and, and I paid for it. I mean, we were buying all this stuff and, and, um, and I paid for it and, and um, we went to the house and, and I told them this was one of the things that started to move them in my favor. Willow, we have presents for you. I'm gonna, they're in the car and I'm gonna bring them in later. So obviously she's, she's very interested in presents in the car, so. From that moment on, she befriended me, okay? So we're, we're playing, we're having fun, and then I said, do you think it's time to get the presents? Oh, yes. So, so we go out and, and we carry in all these bags and, and we start showing you know, the kids what theirs are and, and then we gave Willow hers and she opened it and out comes this beautiful, glittery, you know, glistening mermaid outfit. Well, she has to try it on, of course. So she goes and, and into the room and she puts on this mermaid dress and, and they'd been climbing all over me. You know, we'd been wrestling on the floor and having fun and, and I'm kind of leaning back on the couch right now and she comes out in her mermaid dress 
And then she starts coming next to me and she's moving all around. And I think she is acting like a mermaid. I think she's doing this mermaid swim. And I'm not going to try to imitate it. But um, <clears throat> I think she is doing this mermaid swim. And I said to her, I said, oh, you're swimming. You're moving just like a mermaid. And she's standing right over me, moving all around, shaking like, I think, a mermaid. And so I think that she is, you know, swimming like a mermaid, but she's not. She looks at me with kind of this four-year-old mischievous grin. And she says, no, I'm giving you a glitter bomb. <laughs> there is glitter flying everywhere. And I am underneath this, this massive amount of glitter that is just like, I am this glistening mess right now. Now, I don't know, I, I like all Christmas cards. I really do, okay? I like Christmas cards. But do you ever get the Christmas card that like you open it and poof, <laughs> it's glitter everywhere? And then you don't know you have it on your face. You know what I mean? You go to work or whatever and, and people are looking at you like, mm -hmm. you have no idea, but you're just sparkly, you know. And they're wondering, did he do that on purpose, you know? So I have glitter all over me. I'm glitter. I felt bad for, for my nephew, his wife, because their house is going to be, they're going to have thoughts of mermaids for a long time to come. Okay, so we leave and we have to drive to the hotel. I forgot all about the glitter, but I am covered in glitter, okay? So I go to check into the hotel and my sparkly personality <laughs> is really coming through. So I, I walk in and of course, there's all these educators, pastors, I see people that I know. One, one of the guys, I, I've known him for several years. He comes up to me. He's like, hey, Pastor Redland. I say, hey, Phil, good to see you. And, and he comes and we do, you know, like the handshake man hug, you know. And, um, and so I'm, I'm, you know, hey, good to see you, you know. And um, he's like, hey, good to see you too. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? <clears throat> you know, I'm doing great. Thanks. And so we have conversation. I go up to the desk, I, I check in, he's kind of looking at me, you know, and, you know, and, I, you know, I don't know what she's thinking, but I check in and, and go through the whole stuff, go out, you know, Julie's waiting in the car, we, we get all our stuff and, and uh, you know, ride the elevator up and we get into the room and I look in the mirror, they have mirrors, you know, in the room and I, I look in the mirror and I have glitter all over my face. I mean, I know everyone who saw me is just like, what, where has he been rolling, you know? <laughs> because I have glitter all over, I mean, nobody could have missed it. No, no matter who I saw, they're looking at me saying, that guy is a glittery mess. Now, who do I have to blame for that? Who do I have to blame? Here's who I want to blame, the four-year-old, okay? <laughs> I want to blame the four-year-old because clearly she is evil, okay? I mean, she knew what she was doing, right? She comes over and she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, she's moving all over and, oh, you're swimming like a mermaid. Now it's a glitter bomb, okay? I want to blame the four-year-old, but, but if you, you know, if I retrace my steps, who paid for this stuff? Yeah, it was me, all right. Will I do it again? 
not by God's grace, okay? No, I will never, never help a wannabe mermaid again, okay? Let him, let him suffer. I'm not going to do that again. Well, it is, a, it is a, a product of my own making. I have no one to blame but myself. Did your parents ever use the expression, you, you, well, you made your bed? Now, some of you say, no, trust me, I never made my bed. Okay. <laughs> but did your, did your parents ever use the expression, well, you made your bed, now you're going to sleep in it? I, I was reading in, in my own reading, and, and I came across this passage of Scripture, and the title of the message today is A Bed of Our Own Making. And the passage that I read that stood out is found in Isaiah chapter 28, verse number 20. And it says, for the bed is shorter than that a man can stretch himself on it and the covering narrower than that he can wrap himself in it. And this passage of scripture is used in such a way that it is the culmination of where Judah, the, the southern kingdom of the people of Israel, they were divided through, through conflict and war and there's now the northern ten tribes, the, the southern two tribes. And, and he says to the southern two, he says, this is a bed of your own making and it's not very comfortable. He says, it's shorter than you wish it was. And you're not covered well. So your sleep and your covering are both problematic. And to add insult to injury, not only are you in this bed of your own making, the, the whole fault lies not with someone with which you want to point your finger and say, hey, well, this is their fault. And if, if they were not, you know, in this equation, everything would be okay. He said, no, 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 no. This is a, a bed of your own making. You have no one to blame but yourself. So the, the first thing we're going to notice when we start walking through this passage of Scripture is that God is about to say some very difficult things to the hearer. And many times we, we want to in a sense, again, point our finger at the bearer of the news. We, we want to make them the problem as if the mailman is the person to be blamed for, for bringing the large bill. But, but it's not the problem of the mailman. He's simply delivering that which has to be delivered to our address. And so we're going to see some things that, that unfold before us. The first thing that we'll see in this passage, and we'll, we'll give a, a big picture view of Isaiah chapter 28. But the first thing that we see is, is what we'll call the comparison. The comparison. What Isaiah does is, in a sense, a pastor might say something like this. So I don't know if you've heard this expression before or not, but, but pastors might say something like, not that this is good, bad, or indifferent, but they might say, well, I dusted off an old message. And I, and I brought out an old message. Really, what Isaiah's about to do is to dust off an old message. He's going to say, all right, these are some things that we've already delivered to Ephraim, that is to Israel, to the northern kingdom their capital being Samaria. We've already delivered a message like this to them. And he starts out, in fact, look at the very beginning of, of Isaiah chapter 28. He says, woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower. 
which are on the head of the fat valleys and them that are overcome with wine. Now he starts to address their continual pursuit of pleasure. He says, you're just trying to find any reason for which you can satiate yourself with drunkenness. You are intoxicated right now, he says, to the northern kingdom with pleasure. Alcohol being the, the means by which you're trying to, to bring it upon yourself. And, and he just starts to, to go through this. He says, behold, the Lord hath a mighty and a strong one, which as a tempest of hail and destroying storm, as a flood of mighty waters over, overflowing, shall cast down to the earth with the hand. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim shall be trodden under feet. He's really saying, okay, Ephraim, okay, northern kingdom, you're, you're making your own bed. And here's how God's going to respond to it. So, so he begins by saying, hey, listen, this is the message that's already been delivered to the northern kingdom. And really what he's saying is he's saying a discerning person will watch and learn from, from the challenges of another. A discerning person will look and say, wow, that happened to them. I don't want that to happen to me. So they lived this way. They went in that direction. They pursued these things and, and look at what happened to them. Isn't it interesting? One of, the, one, one of the sad repetitious elements of mankind is that we continue to repeat the failures of previous generations. You know, who are we in the United States of America to think that we can defy the, the hand of Almighty God as have nations who have gone before us and reap the blessings that we have so richly enjoyed? I mean, who are we to think that? To just pause and stand back and take an honest look at history. We have, we have people today that have a hard time saying that only a biological woman can become pregnant. I'm not being silly about this in the least. We, we have issues today that, that are so obviously backwards. In, in ways that we might have never mentally conceived, we are calling evil good and good evil. And all we have but do is just to look at history and, and see that there have been no nations that have long existed that have so boldly defied the, the hand of the living God. And so Isaiah does what, what is wise to do. He says, hey, let's, let's pause for a minute and let's consider. I'm, I'm going to dust off an old message. I've preached this one before. And he shares it with us. And you and I, maybe we just scale it down to not the national level, but maybe apply the same principles to the personal level. You and I are not bound to repeat the, the sins of those who've gone before. We don't have to do that. In fact, you and I could be wise to just look at what are the failings of those who've gone before and I, I don't want that to be me. And so really that's what he does. He, he gives this comparison. He goes to verse number seven. So we'll, we'll kind of jump, jump ahead just a bit, but look at verse number seven. He says, but they also, they also, this is the southern kingdom. Now he's talking to Judah and, and Jerusalem was this crown of the, of the nation, the people of, Israel, of Judah. And he says, but they also have erred through wine, through strong drink or out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. 
They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. This isn't pleasant to read, but, but I'm going to read it. Verse number eight continues that same thought. He says, for all tables are full of vomit and filthiness so that there is no place clean. Wow, he, he's being very descriptive. He said, okay, let's do a little comparison. We've seen what takes place in the, the, the northern kingdom. We've seen what takes place in Israel, um, um, called Ephraim here. He says, we don't, we don't have to repeat that, but we're going in the same direction. We're about to sleep in a bed of our own making. And the wise person now would just come and say, well, okay, I see what happened there. I'm comparing myself with them and I don't want me to repeat the them. And so he's, he's giving us at least an honest opportunity to evaluate ourselves in light of those who have gone before. But, but he doesn't stop there. It goes on a bit further and, and now we see the contempt. Not just the comparison, now we see Wow, this is, this is out in the open contempt. If you mark things in your Bible, I did this in, in mine. Verse number nine, it is actually the, the rulers of Judah that begin to speak. So we take a little switch in the narrative and really the next two verses now, we have this, this insert, this change in narrative. And now the leaders of Judah begin to speak. And notice what they say, a passage of scripture that you might be familiar with, you've heard the passage before, but, but maybe not taken the passage in its full context. So in the context, here he is, is what they're saying. And notice the contempt. They say, whom shall he teach knowledge? Who are you? Here's what they're saying. Who are you trying to teach your wisdom to? And now look a little bit further in that passage. And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts? For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Do you know what they're saying? They're saying, hey, listen, who do you think you're talking to, little infants? I mean, this little one that was just nursing at his mother's breast, and now you're trying to teach us like little children. You keep saying the same things over and over again. Line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept. They're using this not in a, in a favorable tone. They're not saying, oh, you know, that's the Christian life, line upon line, precept upon precept. They're not using it in that term. They're actually saying, will you, will you treat us like adults? Hey, who do you think you're talking to here? And they're bothered that Isaiah would simply continue to keep going back over and over and over again to this idea of repent, return, receive the forgiveness, the cleansing, the washing. He keeps repeating this message. There, there is some clear contempt in this. They're saying, are you teaching us as little children? Okay, a lot of college students in here, but I don't know how many of you did this when you were a kid or not, but um, um, look at this chart, okay? How many of you remember this chart that, um, that was used? Okay, I met two, two tonight while I'm coming in. They're, they're somewhere in the balcony, I'm not sure where you are, but I met two college seniors. They're both nursing students and they're in their senior year. So it's a lot of work to get through, you know, your first three years of the nursing program at Pensacola Christian College. 
That's a challenge, it's a lot of work. Can you imagine they get to their senior level classes and the teacher says, today, get your notes out. Here's what we're going to do. Let's all say this together, students. And these are senior level nursing students. And she says, okay, A says ah as an apple. Ah, ah, ah. Say it with me. A says A as an apple. Ah, ah, ah. And so they're going through this, their senior level, senior year of college nursing program. Well, do you know the same idea? I mean, we, we could go through this. E says, eh, as an elephant, eh, eh, eh. And we could go through the whole thing and say, wow, I, I can see so many of you writing this down. I have to remember this, okay? Th- this is the same idea. If someone was serious about this and they came into your senior level class and they said, here's what we're gonna do today, you'd look at them with, with some strange absurd look on your face like what in the world are they doing and that's what they're communicating here they're saying this is utter foolishness why are you treating us like little children in fact when you when you start to look at the the way the hebrew is constructed it it it, even the words the phraseology and the repetition of it says these guys are being sarcastic There is some sense of contempt with the message. They simply don't want to receive it. Okay, have you ever been frustrated by the, so to speak, childish ways with which you feel God is treating you? And maybe even something like this, you know, it's like I keep keep trying to advance in my Christian life, but God keeps, keeps plaguing me with these repetitious challenges. Why can't I get past this? It's like you, you cannot pass go. You cannot collect 200. You go directly to jail. That's how I feel in my Christian life. Why can't I advance? God, why do you keep treating me like this? Why do I keep having to face this? I'm tired of facing this over and over and over again. You, you might be, you, you might be a, a senior saint here. And it's like, why do I still, why am I continually faced with, what, what is the, I don't know where you are in, in the, the timeline of life, but the leaders, the rulers in Judah were frustrated not only with Isaiah, but with Isaiah's God because he continually is bringing them back to these points where they, they want to be able to say, I am to be long past this. God's going to answer the ridicule in verse number 13. Look at chapter 28, verse 13. He said, but the word of the Lord was unto them. This is what I have been doing. Precept upon precept, precept upon precept. He he uses their own ridicule. Line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. That they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. Well, why are they going to go backward? Why are they going to be broken? Why are they going to fall into this snare? The, the, the honest truth is because they've made a bed that they're about to sleep in. This isn't God's fault. God's saying, hey, listen, I keep bringing these things to your attention so that, that, that you will, because of my goodness, receive the instruction. God doesn't keep bringing us back to places where we've already been before because he's unkind. He does it because of his kindness so that we can actually learn that lesson and, and move beyond it. If, you're, if you are sensing that God keeps bringing you back over and over again to a place of, of, honestly, at this point, frustration, 
Don't bolt from the lesson. The answer is humble yourself and receive it. That was God's desire for his people. Well, we see the comparison, we see the contempt, and then obviously we see when they've rejected it, we see the consequence. Look down at verse number 19. The consequence. From that time that it goeth forth, it shall take you. From, for morning by morning shall it pass over, by day and night. And it shall be a vexation only to, the, to understand the report. For the bed is shorter than that a man can stretch himself on it. And the covering narrower than that he can wrap himself in it. He is saying what we have already said. He's saying you've made your bed. Now you're going to have to sleep in it. And clearly it's not going to be very comfortable. How often are we frustrated at God for the circumstances that are the product of our own making? Life many times does seem hard. I mean, it, it, there, there can be things about life that just, this is, this is not easy. This is frustratingly hard. It's difficult and I don't want to be in this place anymore. Maybe some of the things that the Lord is just waiting for is for us to receive the instruction so that we can have a bed, so to speak, of his making. Isn't it interesting that, that God says things like, he giveth his beloved sleep. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When I am sleeping in the bed of my own making, true peace, real rest evades me. It's it's this thing that I, I seek and I try to find. How many times those people who, who defy God thinking that they're getting what they want find that what they thought they wanted was not what they want at all? And here he is simply saying, okay, there is a consequence for you continually resisting and refusing my instruction. It's the consequence. All of us would do well to at least ask and answer for ourselves the question, am I willing to be instructed? All of us would do well to ask and answer the question. And it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what position we hold. It doesn't matter how long we have done something. It doesn't matter if we're the person that is giving others instruction or if we are the instructed. All of us would do well to ask and answer the question, can I be instructed? Can I receive correction? Do you know the day when we can't actually be instructed and the day that we can't actually, you know, be corrected It's truly a sad day for any of us. It it would be high praise for someone to say to any of us, you know, one thing I appreciate about you is, is you're teachable. That means that I am not so set in my way that I, I tell everyone else in a sense to take the highway. I desire we should always desire to say there there may actually be something that I can learn in this whole process if we get to the point where we are always the instructor never the instructed if we are always the correct or never the correct ed wow we've come to a dangerous place 
And here there is consequence, a bed of their own making. And it's not because God is unkind in any way, shape or form. He oftentimes uses that uncomfortable bed to help us realize I don't like my current situation. And there's, there is an answer to how do we get out of the, the bed of our own making. And that is, okay, Lord, what do I need to hear? What do I need to hear? Do you know, all of us need people in our lives that can actually speak truth into our lives. Now, it's nice when we get to select them. It's nice, and, and, and I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but isn't it also interesting that, that many times God brings sources of correction into our lives that are not the people of our choosing. Sometimes people we don't even know, but they say things, and we also like it when the people that, that um, you know, are of our choosing, they correct us in, in kind ways. They do so in, in a pleasant fashion. Do you have people in your life that um, you look back on and they may not have been people of great kindness but boy were they people of great usefulness if if we can receive correction and instruction from people that are not always the people of our choosing and not always in ways that are the most pleasant or comfortable ways if we can receive instruction we have hope of a far more comfortable bed it is the reality of the consequence. And then he kind of wraps up this passage of scripture and, and we'll do the same. And we start to once again see the compassion, the good hand of a good God. Do you know God is, is never overly strong. He never is, is um, less than what he should be. He's never more than what he should be. He is always in each of our lives perfectly appropriate to bring us to the place where he desires us to be the the again the only question is am I willing to receive it and I feel like what he does at the end of this passage is he he gives us some examples that every person in this this um, a more agricultural uh, a society would get we might not get it at first reading but when we start to investigate it a little bit we say oh I think I see what he's trying to say so what, where's the compassion? Look at verse number 22. He says, now therefore, okay, hey, hey in, in contrast to that, don't, don't continue to make an uncomfortable bed. He says, now therefore, let's, let's make a change, a turn. He says, be ye not mockers. Someone says, hey, you shouldn't do that. Do you know, he used, for example, this is a little aside. So forgive the aside, but. But he spends a lot of time in this passage talking about the problems of alcohol. Specifically their pursuit and their drunkenness. And how they repeated a problem with alcohol that the northern nation had that now is repeated in the southern nation. And he says, hey, there's a problem with this and you're pursuing it. And he says, listen, you, you have defiled everything. There's no clean place. And he uses alcohol as an, as an illustration of this. Isn't it interesting how oftentimes we, we defend things with great vigor? I mean, we, we'll, we'll take a stand for things that, that God says, listen, here's, here's what, what I see about drunkenness. That wine oftentimes for, for people, it's just been nothing but a mocker. He says strong drink is raging. And if you're deceived by alcohol, you are not wise. 
But so often we, we take these positions of defense against these things. And he says, don't mock that. Hey, don't use it as a joke. He says, don't, don't play games with stuff. God, God uses this here and he gives us very serious warnings about the, the power of alcohol and drunkenness. So sometimes we treat those things so lightly and he says, don't be a mocker. Don't, don't use that. He says, you know, wine is a mocker, but don't you be. So he's, he's helping us understand, isn't it interesting that we can take almost any kind of sin that is available to man and make some kind of a joke out of it? We just joke about it. We, we try, I think, to overcome the admonition with some kind of, of return mockery. And he says, hey, listen, you're sleeping in a bed right now that's really uncomfortable. You know it, I know it. You may not acknowledge it to other people, but you know in your own heart, listen, your, your sleeping is, is disturbed. Your rest is not what it's supposed to be. And I'm not necessarily talking about your physical sleep, although I think oftentimes it spills over to, into that. He's saying your life is, is, a, is a messy bed and you made it. So he says, don't mock. Instead, what's the opposite of someone mocking? This mocking look, this mocking response, you know, this mocking tone. What's the, what's the opposite of that? There, there is some sense of receiving. Okay, tell me what I need to hear. I don't want to hear, but tell me what I need to hear. He's saying, therefore, in contrast to this, let's respond in a different way. Now, therefore, be not mockers, lest your bands be made strong. He says those things that are already the bands, the chains that are around your arms, the chains that are around your ankles, the chain, the band that is around your neck. He says, don't mock because the only thing you're doing is you're adding additional strength to the very thing that have you bound. He says, don't, don't mock. You're, you're going to strengthen the chain of your own bondage. And then he goes on, he says, for I've heard from the Lord of hosts, a consumption even determined upon the whole earth. Give ye ear and hear my voice, hearken, hear my speech. Do you know a, a, a person who is a, a, has a proud neck, they won't hear instruction. They won't, by that, they won't receive instruction. He's saying, just open your ears to hear. And then he gives us this illustration how God always does everything perfectly. Look at verse number 24. Doth the plowman plow all day to sow? Doth he open and break the clods of his ground? Here's, here's what he's saying in this verse. And then he starts to just, you know, unpack the whole um, um, agricultural illustration. He's saying when a farmer begins to plow uh, so that he can plant some seed, is that all he does is just keep plowing. So he plows and then he plows some more and then he just keeps plowing and plowing. No, 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 he plows with an end to that. He breaks up. The Bible uses elsewhere that he breaks up the fallow ground, the hardness of our heart. He's bringing us to a place where, okay, now the next thing can happen and then the next and the next and the next. So here he's saying, okay, does, is there ever an end to the plowing? Because you might feel right now like, man, God, you are breaking things up in my life. You're plowing and that plow's running deep. And he says, I know, but there's an end to that. This, this isn't the whole story. So receive this part of it. Well, why? So I can get to the next part because then he says, okay, he, and he starts to use this illustratively. He goes through different seeds. 
He says, we plant differently. And God says, I, I know just exactly what I'm doing. I know when to plow. I know when to stop plowing. I know what kind of seed has to be broadcast. He talks about cumin and other things. He just says, these are the kind of seeds you just broadcast, that kind of seed. And then he says, but I don't do that with wheat. I know what to do exactly with the wheat. This I plant in rows. He's actually talking here about different kinds of seeds that they plant on the outskirts of a field. Some that they would plant in the interior of the field. He's saying, I do all of this just right. You, you, there's going to be a time when this comes to a conclusion. And then I know what I'm doing with you. I know just who you are, just how I made you, just what I'm trying to grow. And then he even goes on in this passage and he says, and I know how to harvest it. I'm not going to do it all the same way. He says, some things I'm going to take and it takes a rod to harvest that. And oh, that's hard. But that's how you actually get the fruit of that growth. He says, this is how you actually harvest that which is profitable, which is good. This is how you separate the chaff from the wheat. There are some things that he just takes and it takes a much lighter hand. This is almost done with a fan where you just touch this and now the, the value of that begins to just pour forth. There are some things that are actually driven over. He says, you, you, you're using this wheel now and it's ground over. But that grinding process, this is the very thing that produces what we've been trying to produce the whole time. God's saying, I know all about that. Can't we trust God receive instruction it's going to be a just exactly what we need it's not going to be too strong it's not going to be too light it, it, it's not going to be forever there's a season to this and to this and to this and to this now no chastening for the present time seems seems good seems glory oh this is exactly what he says no 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 but it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness what is it that God's trying to do in all of our lives? He's actually very graciously trying to keep us or move us out of a bed of our own making. And that is a gracious God. So if I don't like the bed that I am the, 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 the one who's responsible for it, what do I do? Open your ear and receive instruction.